It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided we are? Let's find the peacemakers. Think everyone is mean and selfish? Let's talk to those who are helping us all be more loving and caring. Think our culture is going downhill? Let's meet those who are helping us flourish. And now your host, Jonathan Sanborn. Well, hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for tuning in to Counterculture. Yes, I am your host, Jonathan Sanborn. And, you know, hey, these are crazy times. And when it seems like the world is going crazy, we know that we have an anchor and we have a path, and that is the way of Jesus. And we are so thankful that he has given us the instruction and direction. I believe being countercultural is to follow in the way of Jesus, and we try to highlight that those people on our show uh, who have stepped into the craziness and seen where there are divisions, and they've built a bridge, a bridge between maybe two sides that see things differently. Uh, maybe they've built up peace, or, or maybe two groups that aren't cooperating, and they've built cooperation. And those are the kind of people we like to highlight on this show, and I've been honored to get to meet so many, mo- many movers and shakers uh, really uh, around the state and even around the, our nation. And today we are very fortunate to have Professor uh, Elaine Eklund here on the show. Uh, Professor, welcome. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate being here. Oh, it's a, it's an, the honor is mine. Are you calling in from Houston? Indeed, I am calling in from Houston, Texas. Fantastic. How's the weather over there? Um, it is uh, back hot. Thankfully, <laughs> hot. Um, what is that? A real? Yeah, I like the. I'm from the Northeast, but I really like the hot weather. Actually. Yeah, and we got we got down um, to. Uh, under 50 uh, the last couple of weeks, so Whoa. I had to actually pull out uh, some gloves. So it's, it's, back <laughs> yeah. up. it's back up how I like it. Yeah, I'm. I have my scarf right next to me because I'm a I'm a Los Angeles Phoenix guy. Uh, <laughs> so the, I'm, I I like sun and warmth. Uh, so uh, you know, uh, Professor Eklund is the Herbert S. Autry Chair in Social Sciences and Professor of Sociology at Rice University as well as the founding director of the Religion and Public Life Program. She's a sociologist of religion, immigration, and science who examines how individuals bring changes to religious and scientific institutions. She's the author of four books from Oxford University Press, one book with New York University Press, and one book with Brazos Press, and numerous research articles and op-eds. Her most recent book is Why Science and Faith Need Each Other, um, Eight, Shared Values That Move Us Beyond Fear, and her research has been cited thousands of times by local, national, international media. And and who would have thought that you're going to be – I would get such a big deal on my show. So thank you again. But, <laughs> thank you. No, thank but you. I know you're a big deal, but you're also a human being, and we like to play this game called Fake News. And that's where we say something true about yourself and something not true, and I try to guess with my Im- immense knowledge and insight which one is true. And which one isn't? So, what it may say two things about yourself and see if I can guess. Um, okay, so I have three children. Um, I was raised on a farm and rode a pig. Okay, there's okay. So I get a choice of three things. So, oh, three things. Uh, no, I'll pick them. I'll pick one. one. <laughs> no, no, that's good. So you, I'm guessing that you have three children. So that's true. Is this true or the false? The the false is the the pig riding is false. 
No, the pig riding oh. is through, and I have I have one child. One child. You know what? <laughs> I am such a knucklehead. I even read that you had one child in in your book, and I forgot. I'm just see. You know, I'm just God is totally humbling me. And so you were a pig riding farm girl. I was a pig riding farm girl. I, I don't know. I've never had that on national news before, so maybe I shouldn't have said that. But that indeed is true of me. I well, I, we have a very strong pig loving community from my audience, and so expect <laughs> some nasty letters. So, but I'll I'll I'll, sh- I'll take those for you. I'll take those blows. <laughs> so that's so that tells something about you. So you came from a conservative Baptist family. That's but, right. Yeah. But early yeah. on, you had an experience that gave you serious doubts. Could you tell me about that? Yeah, I um, I was kind of raised in this sort of family spiritually where um, if you, you know, believe that God will heal you, he will. And, you know, that, that kind of thing, that kind of theology was a bit a part of my whole background. And I had a pretty serious um, illness as a child. I had was developed with a pretty severe form of mm. an unusual form of arthritis. And I would say just um, as so many of us, um, as people of faith, that early experience with um, just the reality of pain and suffering yes. in the world um, kind of shook me. And yes. I, you know, as an adult, looking back, you, you think like, oh my gosh, you know, so many people have experienced things that are so much harder than I have, especially in these times, sure. I think we think about that. But, but it was real to you. Um, but it was absolutely real to me, yes. and uh, really was something that um, did shake my faith, and um, and I think, you know, kind of sh- just shook how I thought about God, how I thought about the Christian community, you know, all of that, really. Mm. And so did you have, like, prayer meetings and healing and to, to prayer and t- take care of that? Is that what, how, what happened? Um, yeah, that was kind of part of it. Um, and also there was a sense that, you know, the kind of communities that I was part of um, were not really places where you could ask hard questions of the faith. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think in some ways that's why, um, you know, one of my things as a sociologist is to really, and as a, as a person of faith myself, is to create the kinds of communities where people can really ask hard questions of the faith. And my own research area is science and religion is one yes. of the things that I study. But to really make sure that churches are places where you know, kids can ask hard questions about science and places where they can be introduced to scientists who are also yes. people of faith and, and kind of wrestle with these things in a safe environment. Because you are you were saying, like, there's the faith answer to your life situation, but there's also a scientific answer, that, like medicine, that got, and which, and so, the, and you came to an ultimately conclusion that they both have validity. That's right. And even that medicine, I mean, I think, you know, hopefully I'll keep growing throughout my life. I'm sure. in my mid-40s now. Um, but, you know, over time, I've come to the place where to even see medicine and science um, as gifts given to us by God. And yeah. even, you know, things that where we can use those tools to understand the natural world and the biological world, our bodies, and that these are not even really separate spheres, science and faith, but right. rather... You know, science is something that is given to us um, as people of faith and something that we can use uh, wisely as a set of tools to serve God well. I love that. I love the way you're talking about that. And so I'm actually holding in my hands your book, Why Science and Faith Need Each Other. 
So why did you write this kind of book? Why? And, I mean, there's there's other people talking about, but what do you bring to this discussion? Well, I'm a sociologist, and so we are interested in how groups of people interact mm-hmm. and, you know, how people are different in groups than they are as individuals when they're by themselves and the kind of impact that that groups and social locations have on the world. And I thought so much of the science and faith conversation, as I see it in the world, is um, good, you know, good theological work. So a lot of theologians talk about this stuff. Um, Apologetically, like, absolutely. A lot of, a lot of discussion about philosophy and sort of science and faith as idea systems. But there's really not very much work about how people do science and faith in communities. And so, Mm, but, you know, scientists, science and faith, they're they're not just idea systems, they're groups of people, the scientists and um, people who are part of churches in the the case of our Christian tradition. And so I thought, let's just see how these groups of people interact with one another Mm. as a way, as a particular kind of lens for seeing the science and faith interface. So that's just one kind of reason. Yeah. The second kind of reason is, that I wrote the book is that for the past 15 years, I've been studying this stuff, just like I said. Sure. But I realized over time that um, really a particular group of Christians, Christians who are somewhat theologically conservative, um, who are very, those who um, attend church a lot, they are also people who are suspicious of some pieces of science, who are a little bit less likely to know scientists than other groups of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And since I've been part of those communities, I thought, you know, as my public outreach, I may have some sort of moral responsibility to write a book that um, people of faith could pick up and read and that might be helpful to them. So so this is um, a book which is very different than the other books that I've written, and mm. it's not for other scholars and other academics. It's really for church-going people. It's for pastors. Yeah, very readable, yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Bless mm-hmm. you for saying so. Um, <laughs> so. I know I've sold one copy. That's good. But you I'm sold. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. This is the, <laughs> this is your golden ticket to not you know making more than a, a professor salary. So you're going to make bank. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but well. I do hope that the book um, you know gets into the hands of people who can really use it. Um, I hope to have feedback about the book and sure. I. I hope that um, that it's something. I actually led an adult education class around the book in my own church okay. um, these past few um, months um, during these COVID times. I right. think these issues are really now, you know, more important than they've ever been. They really are, and I like. I mean, the basic. Stru- I mean, the basic background of the book isn't is because you're coming from a sociological perspective. You're not just talking about the the traditional way of debating these topics and. And so you talk about that there's an often underlying fear that people have when they approach the discussion, which doesn't allow them to be intellectually open, right? Or intellectually, I don't know, I don't know better. I don't know if I'm saying it well, but they're not really open-minded when they enter in a discussion on both sides. That's exactly right. And you see this happening in our broader society right now, right? It's like the elephant in the room is that there's more perhaps societal division um, in our current time than there has been, you know, for decades and decades. And so there is a sense where 
the science and faith issue is kind of a template for so many other issues. And it's um, a fundamental reality that when people are deeply afraid of each other, they don't feel safe, right? right. They don't feel um, safe to discuss ideas that they might have. Um, fear really damps down curiosity. Yes. And you, you need to feel you know, like you can try something out and fail um, in order to be right. curious. You can kind of try on an idea and, and change your mind about something. And if you're deeply afraid, you tend to become more entrenched in your perspective and to kind of dig in. And I think that's a, a death knell to um, really informed and, um, you know, beautiful dialogue mm, and um, mm-hmm. being able to change people's minds, um, you know, that we seek in our society when we start thinking about how to how society ought to work for the common good. And so I, I do, you know, want to be honest about the fears that people have. Sure. We can't just pre- pretend to be not afraid. Right. You know, we need to get, we get, get those fears out of the table, I think, in order to have good dialogue around issues of science and faith, but so many other issues as well. And I, I think you brought up a great point that there isn't a context to express doubt in certain circles, right? We aren't – and so you're afraid to express doubt and you're afraid of judgment of your own people but also that if you are wrong, there are implications – if you have been wrong, there are implications about where you've been. <laughs> There's a lot of other implications based on what you're holding too. So yeah, fears are very diverse uh, but they're they're very, very real. Absolutely, absolutely. And I find in any sort of peacemaking, oftentimes we, we debate on the surface around an issue, but off, there are these fears under, and not just with faith and science, but across the board and in divisions. We wonder what are they really afraid of? Are they afraid of like um, a, a, the, a theocracy, a ruling over <laughs> Christianity? Are they afraid of a communism or something like that? And or something if we somehow accept something that's maybe isn't in our our group or our traditional way of thinking. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So if you're just tuning in, this is Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn. We have Professor Elaine Eklund here, and we're talking about why science and faith need each other. Uh, we often talk on our show about bridge building. And as we've, uh, what are some signs that show that there are, really is hope for our culture? Or uh, what are some things that you're seeing that make you hopeful? I do see some amazing on-the-ground efforts. I'm um, part of—I want to give credit where credit's due. It's really my team here at Rice University, the Religion and Public Life Program. But we've been um, leading conversation groups for religious and civic leaders for the past couple of years where, you know, people get in a room together— and they talk about things that they might not talk about mm. with people they probably wouldn't meet in other contexts. These are, you know, many high-level leaders in mm-hmm. Houston and around the country. And I've learned over the years through research, actually, that um, we need to have deep relationships before we can confront each other with ideas mm. that we um, don't agree with or that are hard for us to hear and I, I would say realizing that through the community building work that our team has done has been the most profound um, learning opportunity for me in my career so far. I would say wow. for the first 10 years I was doing this work, um, it was more the sense of, you know, I'm a professor, right? Sure. So, like my bread and butter is books and ideas. And I always think like you can teach it into someone, you know, <laughs> right. like, just get more information, more information. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Right. And that's, that's what I do. Yep. Um 
But really, I find that just throwing information at people really doesn't help if they don't trust the people that they're hearing the information from. And that if we start with relationship building first, that then there is a really significant bridge built wow, that that's... we can pass information over. And I nothing has been more profound for me. Like that, that is, I was like, wow, kind of having that aha moment mm-hmm. really has changed, you know, how I think about my work and career. And so you asked me where I see hope. I do see um, on the ground community building efforts where people are really coming together to build common ground for common good efforts. They're saying, like, let's set aside these things, like, because we know each other and we trust each other, let's let's work for, for good um, on these efforts. I'm seeing a lot of groups um, in Houston and around the mm. country come together to, to combat racism, to have intelligent, thoughtful dialogue about mm-hmm. racism. And one thing, um, some of the science and faith groups that I'm part of are thought, you know, sometimes churches are seen as a problem for science. What if churches were places that actually sponsored after-school programs that had robust science education, yes. you know, and, wow. those, and you thought of churches as places where it were like the go-to place for great um, access to science and right. understanding. Wow, that's bold. I love that. Us. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. So practically, in you've, when you talk about community building and relationship building, tell me, just give me one example in your own experience from that. I, I remember, um, you know, this was five or six years ago now, but I had a high-level scientist visit the university and um, someone I know, and I had her over um, for one of these groups, and there there was a pretty... I, I use the word, you know, conservative and liberal. Uh, you can't use those words loosely anymore. Right. But someone who we would think of as pretty um, traditional or conservative uh, religious leader. And he was just talking to this scientist and really, you know, getting to know her as mm. a person. And they were sharing information about their hobbies and things. And um, she didn't even tell him really what she did for her work. I mean, it was really interesting to see them just connecting on a very human level. And um, later on, he asked me about her and who she was and how she came. I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's this, you know, very major scientist. And just the kind of person this pastor um, told me in private that he would have been deeply suspicious of. And I thought, wow, you know, they met in my my living room, and then they went That's... on to actually apply for a grant together. Really, crazy, <laughs> but to do uh, uh, like a dialogue group together around mm. science and faith, and um, they're still connecting at this point. And mm. I think I think for her part, she was pretty suspicious of um, of certain kinds of religious leaders too, sure. you know. And so there was a kind of suspicion, but because they, you know. You know, they were in a home, and it didn't feel threatening. Um, they were able to connect on that very, very human level. I don't want to be Pollyanna about this. No. I hear myself talking. I hope your listeners don't think sure. she's a Pollyanna. Right. Um, there are very real divisions, and there are different approaches in sure. our society, and um, there is a lot of horrifically difficult stuff going on. But I do see some hope in people trying to, um, and it's kind of what I talk about in the book, to adopt a posture of humility and say, you know, there may be something I could learn from this person, even yes. if on the outset I really disagree with them. That learning attitude, we, we focus that a, a lot on that on the show with, across different uh, spheres, and uh, you're hitting it right on the head, and I, I think that's so important. 
and in our relationship building that we approach each person as made in the image of God and has something to offer me by if by lear, who, learning who they are. I think that says volumes. Um, so I I think a lot of our audience is is Christian here or, or affiliates themselves with Christians. And what should churches who in, quote preach God's word? be saying about faith and science? Wouldn't it seem to be kind of leaving their mandate? Um, that's, I mean, I think if we see science broadly enough theologically, you, John, you tell me if I'm getting your question right. Okay. Um, so meaning, should they leave their, would it would talking about science and faith be kind of outside of what churches should be doing? Is that what you're asking? Maybe so. Yeah, I guess uh, many, yeah, okay. well, that's a nice thing, yeah. and but. Yeah. Well, I do think that, you know, recent polls show that um, young people are, are leaving congregations. I'm trying to, I'm thinking about, you know, pastors who I know and trying to argue for them, you know, why should you talk about faith and science? And I, I think, you know, a couple of different reasons. Um, those who are, you know, there's for practical reasons, young people say that they're leaving congregations in part because um, congregations don't have a thoughtful approach to science or are not right. friendly to science right. and kind of are behind the time. So there's those kind of almost utilitarian um, reasons that yes. we ought to do this, practical reasons. But then I think that if we don't talk about science and faith and um, kids don't have a thoughtful exposure to the science and faith interface, that they're really missing out on an opportunity for discipleship, that there is a sense where you know, seeing science through a, a faith lens, a Christian lens, can really help us understand so much about who God is and mm-hmm. just how He delights in the natural world and the beauty of the natural world. So there's this deep sense where um, we can know more of who God is through studying the natural and biological world. And I, you know, the scientists who I've, one of my studies, you know, through my studies, I've I've surveyed and interviewed about 10,000 scientists, and the ones who are the most integrated, who see themselves as very committed Christians, but also really, um, you know, top-level scientists mm-hmm. say that they actually find that they know more about God through the um, discovery of the natural world and through their scientific work, that it brings them a sense of awe and wonder and beauty that they can then transmit um, back to their their church community. I love that. I love the theology that is that God makes available. He, he says in Romans one that His character is made evident through His creation, and we can learn have great theology if we, we really screw, look at <laughs> at at His what He's He's made and His His impressions and His character is all is evident there. And so I'd I'd love to see, you probably make, could recommend some work on that, but. Um, so you Absolutely. Ha- I could. There's a lot out there. Um, can I just say one more thing? Sure. I also think that there's a real opportunity for—I talk in my book, one of the, the core um, values that I think science and faith share is this idea of shalom, mm. um, you know, of recognizing the sort of wholeness and peace in the world. And, and there is a sense where in order to get to peace, we need to recognize where the world is broken and Mm -hmm. what needs to be repaired. And I think the scientific and medical communities and the faith communities, our churches, can really join together in this quest for world repair, that there's so much um, that's broken about the human body, there's so much that's broken about the environment and, and the world more broadly. I talk about 
um, racial minority access to science and yes. environmental care in the book as being, you know, a piece of that repair mission yeah. that um, church people and scientists, um, both those who are Christians and those who are not, can really come together around. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting efforts going on in those two spaces. I love hearing so, about that. Yeah, I do think there's a lot of potential there. I, I do see some hope in high-level people talking through these things. High-level, high not meaning that the rest of us aren't, don't have access to these things, but people in significant positions of power are really starting to talk through some of these things, like how communities that mm-hmm. seem to be unlikely partners might join together in these um, for these common ground kind of efforts. Well, this has been a great discussion. So uh, um, you're coming up February 12th and 13th, there is a conference on faith and science. If you search conference on faith and science and then ASU or Arizona or uh, or even just that, you will find out more information about the event. And you'll be one, the main speaker or one of the main speakers at that, correct? That's exactly right, yes. Oh, I'm excited. So our listeners can tune in. We're, um, and, and how can people find your book, Why Science and Faith Need Each Other? They can go to Amazon, where I hope they'll buy it and, and rate it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you said, is that okay? You <laughs> bet. Oh, please. The book. Buy it. I, <laughs> no, I'm really, shameless. I really do, I really do hope um, people buy Why Science and Faith Need Each Other, and that I, it's my special hope that um, Christian churches would find it helpful. Mm-hmm. And I, I really hope that... Um, that they do. I really wrote it for them. Professor Eklund, this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you calling in and taking the time. Thank you, too. This has been really generative for me, and and thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you. God bless. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Care Portal, helping local churches help children and families in crisis. Sign up you and your church today at careportal.org. This program was sponsored by Care Portal.